Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. Hopefully it's a payday for you. If you're a regular weekly wage runner, probably it is. But uh, nevertheless, hope that you're with us. Hope you've got an opportunity to get out and enjoy your family some this weekend. It is a bi-week weekend for Mississippi State. Doesn't mean the Bulldog coaches are not out working. They're out recruiting. Matter of fact, many of you probably saw on social media, Mississippi State coaches are out there doing their thing, uh, doing a lot of uh, recruiting for junior college players. You know, Mississippi State's got a ton of junior college players committed for this class. They went out and did some evaluations last night. Uh, East Mississippi, Mississippi State's got a... uh, a commitment there with Devontae McRae and also several guys at Colin, as you guys are well aware, as you Bulldog coaches are on the move. I'm going to be on the move, too. I'm going to be out to see uh, Tupelo and Olive Branch play tonight. Looking forward to that. We're going to get into some of the Olive Branch discussion uh, a little bit later in the show. We'll preview the weekend that is and, and SEC football. And a reminder, too, if you are one of those folks that uh, you live in the area or perhaps in a reasonable driving distance and you know, you're thinking, you know what, Steve? I really want to get as much Mississippi State athletics activity as I can possibly get, then you come on up to uh, Duty Noble Field on uh, Saturday. We're going to have a scrimmage game against uh, Louisiana. They'll always be Louisiana Lafayette to me. But all that being said, uh, you can come on up here and be a part of that, enjoy that, have an opportunity to see the new 2020 Diamond Dogs in action. Excited about that team. Excited about that offense. Really, really, really excited. Not going to spend a lot of time talking baseball today. We will discuss some things on Monday about what we observe. We're going to have a media opportunity a little bit later today with Chris Lamonis, Tanner Allen, and JT Ginn 
eager to hear what those guys have to say. Also, a bit of a programming announcement. I have up, uh, upgraded the microphone. I have heard some people. I have seen some comments on social media. And uh, I guess you, you maybe you think you're going to hurt my feelings if you tell me, but you're not because uh, I want this to be a quality program. I have upgraded the microphone, and I had a, a good friend of mine share with me that, you know, Steve, I listen to the show, and there's always a bit of a hum. So I have been using kind of a cheap headset. I have abandoned the headset and now bought a directional mic. And so my hope is that will clear up that particular issue. If it doesn't, let me know. And uh, I'll have somebody look at the setup here. It's a pretty basic deal. I, I can't imagine what else there would be. But all that being said, I am making efforts to ensure that uh, this is the best program it can possibly be. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Great, great, great place to go eat. Went a couple days ago again. Went up and uh, had the uh, DeLorean again. Uh, I'm, I keep saying, you know what, I'm going to try something different. But you know, DeLorean is so tried and true now. It's like I know what I'm going to get. They're so consistent with the delivery there at Bulldog Burger Company. So many great stories about people that have had good experiences there. And beginning to get a lot of social media traction about that new location in Tupelo. I've had many people contact me and, and, and in, the, in the Facebook Live show, I had somebody mention last night. said, you know what, Steve? The new Bulldog Burger location in Tupelo is just doing outstanding. And very, very happy to hear that. I think, listen, it doesn't matter who you're a fan of. We're all fans of great restaurant-quality hamburgers, and that's exactly what you're going to get at Bulldog Burger Company. The place in Starkville and now Tupelo, where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's get into a couple of things. I think, first and foremost... I wanted to share a little something. I know, I know there's been a lot of discussion about the new chancellor at Ole Miss, and I, I don't really specifically want to talk about the chancellorship at Ole Miss, but I do want to talk a little bit about the hierarchy when it comes to the state college board, I guess we call it the the, uh, the IHL board, institutions of higher learning. You know, when Mississippi State went through this process a couple times, you know, there was all of this discussion about, you know, the IHL board. And it's so interesting because of the way the rivalry is set up in Mississippi. Everybody thinks, well, you know, they're always out to get us and that, that sort of thing. And, you know, I, you know, I wrote a book about some of that that will be out later this month about some of the things, some of the advantages that Ole Miss has had over the years prior to the modern era because you essentially had an Ole Miss-educated state legislature that really uh, worked hard to ensure that they, they remained in power. But all this discussion when State went through this, when uh, when Dr. Fogelsong was named uh, president of Mississippi State and then Dr. Markino, and I'll tell you today, I woke up today, one of my, the first thoughts on my mind was how grateful I am that Mississippi State is under the leadership and direction of Dr. Markino. We absolutely got that one right, and the IHL board really gave Mississippi State their pick. There were so many people that were excited about getting Mark and Rhonda Keenum to Starkville back to Starkville, should I say, uh, to come in and really impact change. And when you look at what has happened in the years that Dr. Mark Keenum uh, has been at the helm, we, we have seen some unprecedented growth as a university. We have seen some unprecedented successes on the athletic fields of Mississippi State. And a lot of that is because of the direction of and the vision that Dr. Mark Keenum has for Mississippi State. I think you also benefit from the fact that you have Bulldogs in leadership. And I don't mean good old boy Bulldogs. And let me kind of preface that by saying this. That listen, there are a lot of folks out there that love Mississippi State that probably don't belong in a leadership position. And that's just the reality of it. Their, their passion for the university may be unparalleled, but that doesn't mean that they have the ability or the wherewithal to kind of move the university forward. Dr. Mark Keenum, with his political connections, uh, has been able to do that from Mississippi State. I don't think there's there's any question. But this process, this IHL board selection process, it's a little bit antiquated. I know there are a lot of people out there kind of taking some glee in the fact that, uh, you know, that Ole Miss uh, essentially hired the Holmes uh, County Community College president or chancellor to be their guy. And I, I saw someone tweet out earlier that it's a lateral move. Uh, that's funny. But uh, I think the bigger issue is that I don't think anybody affiliated with Ole Miss should have any say in the pick of leadership at Mississippi State and vice versa. I, I don't think we should have any say in how they do business. And so this is not, you know, again, lobbing shots at Ole Miss. I just think there's there is an antiquated process that we have in place. And listen, I understand 
when, when you are dependent on state tax dollars, that the state government is going to have some say in how those dollars are spent. I, I fully appreciate that. But there are many other universities that have a board of regents, and I just I think that when you have other people that are involved in the process who have no skin in the game, shall we say, when it comes to the end result of this process, that they're not always going to make good decisions. And I'm not being critical of the IHO board. I think all those people probably do a thankless job, and uh, there are probably a lot of things that go on behind the scenes none of us will ever know about. And I have seen some of the people talk about the uh, – I don't know what you would call it, but there was a gathering for people to kind of voice their concerns with the IHL board about this, the whole selection process. And uh, it is incredible to me, and I, I would like to give the gentleman credit, but uh, there was an Oxford businessman that spoke, and that video is making the rounds. And it was about 30 days ago, and uh, this gentleman, he made the comment that uh, you know there's already a rumor around the state that the IHL board was going to essentially vet the candidates and that nobody, none of the preferred candidates would be the pick and that they in turn would hire a consultant of the IHL board to be the chancellor at Ole Miss. And I'll be doggone if that's not exactly what happened. Uh, and so there is a lot of angst and there is a lot of confusion and there are a lot of finger pointing today. And so I open the show with that to simply say that uh, I, I think there needs to be changes and how we pick leadership when it comes to Mississippi's institutions of higher learning. I think that the prevailing factor in this should be the folks that, are, that have a vested interest in the university. And I don't just mean from a tax dollar standpoint. I think Mississippi State should be able to name their president. I think Ole Miss should be able to name their president or chancellor or whatever they want to call them. Uh, and that's just my two cents on the matter. But uh, when, I, when I see these things kind of unfold, it reminds me of all of the angst and uncertainty that Mississippi State folks had uh, during, you know, our selection process. And, uh, and I remember all of us saying, you know what, we don't want Ole Miss bureaucrats picking our president because they may pick a leader for us that is some, simply self-serving and kind of suits their needs at Ole Miss. And so... I just think the best way to avoid any of that and even the appearance of, of, of impropriety is to allow the universities themselves to have a bigger voice in all of that. And again, I don't know the full value of the selection process, but I do know that there are a lot of Ole Miss people that are unhappy today. And I know there are a lot of Mississippi State fans that take glee in that. But I think now is the time perhaps because we're not the university that has been somewhat impacted by this decision to maybe have a dialogue about how this thing kind of moves forward. It, it, to me, it, it to me it kind of smacks of cronyism. It really does. And, and I, I don't mean that to be critical of any, any individual in particular. I just think that when we're picking leadership, that it should be the people who are Mississippi State folks that, uh, that are picking the leader. And, and <laughs> we are so unbelievably grateful and so fortunate that we got Dr. Mark Keenum uh, to, to lead Mississippi State. You know, one of the things, and I don't know if you guys know this, a, a quick Dr. Keenum story before we move on. Uh, when I went to orientation, I guess it was a recruiting visit with my oldest daughter, one of the things that they shared with us is that Dr. Mark Keenum has a vision to help end world hunger. And that one of the things that Mississippi State research was kind of working on was a self-replenishing fish that would live and thrive in some African waters. That they're, that they're working on trying to develop and breed a fish that would grow there and live there and be able to survive in the environment there. Now, th that is something that makes me incredibly proud that Mississippi State is involved in that, and my hope is, is that that becomes a reality. And so when I think about the leadership of a research school like Mississippi State, those are the things that we must be involved in to be not just a state and national but world leader as a university, is to be involved in things that affect the globe. There are a lot of people that say they, they want to pick a chancellor based on academics and, and simply athletics. But I think Mississippi State is much bigger than that. I think we can have a much bigger role globally. And I, I'm 
grateful that Dr. Mark Keenum shares that vision and is pushing forward to do things that are important in life, that it's not simply about winning football games. And all that's important to us. We, we don't buy season tickets to, to go watch kids do a chemistry experiment. We don't do that. But all that is a fundraising tool for the university and, and a way for us to kind of expand the brand. But I, I can't imagine anything more important than being able to improve the quality of life of people around the world and that Mississippi State would have a hand in that. I think that is absolutely remarkable, and my hope is that that becomes a reality. And that's just one thing. I mean, there, there are so many great things that Mississippi State has been involved in from a research and agricultural standpoint that I don't know that we get enough credit for. You know, we'll, we'll have a practice report about a football game, but there are a lot of things that Mississippi State is involved in that doesn't always make headlines. And I think that's somewhat unfortunate, and maybe sometimes we're guilty of that at Gene's page. Maybe we should trumpet more of the research and academic successes uh, about the university, because I think you guys would find some of that at interest. I'm not saying that we you know, make that a weekly column or anything, but I think it's one of those things that when there is something big, there is something major that is being developed at Mississippi State that will bring global change or national change, I think we need to, to trumpet that success. Moving on here, uh, we, we, we've got an interesting weekend in front of us, and I've got some recruiting stuff that I want to talk about. But uh, before I get to that, let me go ahead and give you a few picks for the weekend. You know, it's kind of a limited schedule. We just have five SEC games this weekend, and uh, two of those games are going to be non-conference games. Utah State will visit Tiger Stadium, number five LSU. Tigers are playing exceptionally well. I don't think Utah State's going to do anything to change that this weekend. I think you all probably see that game the same way that I do. I think that'll be an absolute blowout. LSU playing at home. It is an early game, and it's so funny to hear the LSU and Alabamas of the world complain about playing those daytime games. And I read some some social media posts recently from LSU fans that were so absolutely incensed about not being able to play all of their games at night at Tiger Stadium. Well, here's a hint and a half for the LSU fans. We all want to do that. We, we all want to play our games at night. We all would much prefer to be out of the sun and the heat and humidity. But somebody's got to play the 11 o'clock game. You know, this year we played a lot more daytime football than I care to, and some of that's because of the fact that, you know what, we hadn't won enough ball games. You know, if we're 4-1, and one, maybe we'd get a little more primetime games, and then we had a chance last Saturday to play in a primetime game, and we absolutely laid an egg. But, you know, LSU, welcome to how the rest of us live. You know, I, I've been to some ball games uh, this year where I felt like I was going to need an IV drip afterwards. You know, goodness gracious. So Utah State will get a chance to uh, to play in front of the heat, and hopefully this will be the last real hot weekend we have. I, I've read a lot of uh, of weather reports this week that we've got that cold front coming in. I guess it'd be a cool front, but there's supposed to be lows down in the 40s next week, and I, I'm, I'm here for that, people. I, I'm here for it. I'm here to wear a light jacket. I'm here for that. LSU wins big, probably 56-10, something like that. I, I think the game of the week – is that CBS game, that Auburn at Florida game. And I know there are a lot of people right now. I know Auburn is kind of trending because we are we are somewhat uh, still smarting, I guess, from that butt-whipping we got last weekend. A lot of those issues were self-inflicted, but, but Auburn, tip of the hat to them, they're a really good football team, probably a much better team than many of us gave them credit for. I did not think that they would be quite the offensive team they were. We knew what to expect from them defensively. I really thought it would be like a 24-20 to 20 type ball game. Well, Mississippi State got pretty close to that point total, but we couldn't stop them. We absolutely couldn't stop them. And some of that, to be fair with you, there were times that I thought that we kind of laid down a little bit. But when you go back and watch that game in that second half, I was really proud of the effort. I didn't think we quit. I do think in that second quarter we kind of felt sorry for ourselves a little bit. But that second half we, do, we did play well. But here's the deal. You play to win the game. And that what Herm Edwards has taught us? You play to win the game. And we didn't win the game. My hope is we can heal up this week and go take care of Tennessee. Uh, Florida, one of the things about Florida, Florida is kind of lying in the weeds there a little bit. You know, the swamp is a difficult place to play. And how I see this game playing out, and Auburn could prove me wrong again, because I did pick them to lose at College Station, and I picked them to beat Mississippi State in a close one. But they have proven to be a lot tougher on defense than I expected. So as a result, I think this will be a low-scoring game. But Florida is among the best teams in the country at tackles for loss and sacks. They're going – I believe that Florida will be able to slow down that Auburn running game. 
I, I really do. I, I am a firm believer in Ty Grantham. Not just because of what he did here, but what he did last year at Florida. And they're a very talented defense. I think that he will have the athletes necessary to really kind of slow that Auburn running game down and then put the game into Bo Nix's lap. And I just, I, again, I don't know, I don't see a true freshman going into the swamp and winning the game. I expect it to be a great game, but I expect Florida to win a close one. Could be a game in the teens. I think I picked it 20 to 17 or something like that. I don't expect a lot of offense to be played in this ballgame. I think it'll be a defensive struggle. And I, I just, quite frankly, I like Todd Grantham more than I do Kevin Steele. And I think that Florida will find a way to put Auburn behind the chains and make Bo Nix make plays. And I also think that Kyle Trask, as a passer, can really challenge that Auburn secondary. So I'm picking Florida in a close one. Troy is at Missouri. You know, Missouri's one of those teams that uh, nobody's really talking about now because they're so far removed. And Dave Murray and I have this discussion all the time. If Could we trade Missouri to the Big 12? Maybe we just give them Arkansas and Missouri. And, uh, and then we'll, maybe we go get somebody else. But it's the thing that I think about, too, about it's so crazy that Mizzou is in the east and Auburn is in the west. And I've had some people share with me. They say, well, you know, Steve, could we could we trade Auburn for Missouri? I don't think that happens, even though I think that it's probably the way to go. Because th- here's the deal. You know, think about the Missouri softball parents. You know, I mean, they're the most – what I guess they're the most northern school – in the conference in the farthest uh, west, and then they got to go play their divisional games against Florida and South Carolina. I mean, you know, it, it hardly seems fair to me. It's the reality of things. But I have heard privately that there is talk of a college football model, scheduling model in the SEC, that we would not play the six divisional games every single year. Because right now you have your permanent East opponent, then a rotating East opponent, and then your six divisional games. And so, you know, we went, we're going to go to Knoxville, and that's going to be the first time in a long time that we've played up there since the Tyson Lee days. And so there's going to be, you know, a whole class of Mississippi State student athletes that not only have never been in Knoxville, that have never played Tennessee. And so I think the model will change and you will have an opportunity that every student athlete, every college football player that comes to the SEC that plays for four years will get the opportunity to play every team in every venue. I think that makes sense to me. I also think it provides a little more parity because of the fact that the West is so rugged that, uh, you know, you change it up a little bit and give everybody a chance. And, and so maybe the gauntlet of the West changes some. Don't be surprised if you see a 3-5 model. And what I mean by that is three permanent opponents and then five rotating opponents. And that could be Eastern teams, Western teams, whatever. So let's say, for an example, let's just pick, you know, the the sticking point has always been that stupid tradition of Alabama, Tennessee. They always have to play the third Saturday in October. And then the rest of the conference is held hostage by that arrangement, which is absolutely ludicrous. Well, then you say, well, we'd love to be able to move Auburn to the east, but then all of a sudden that upsets the balance of the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry. And and let me tell you this, it's not a rivalry anymore. It's a joke. And so with the 3-5 model, here's what would happen. Well, then Alabama could play Tennessee and Auburn every single year and then have one other permanent opponent, you know, maybe it's LSU, and then you rotate the other five teams, which means we may not play Alabama every year which means that teams like Florida might play Alabama just as regularly as, say, Mississippi State does. Well, then you begin to think, okay, well, what about Mississippi State? Well, I think you you probably – you absolutely keep Ole Miss, and then you keep probably Kentucky. And on the Ole Miss side of things, you keep Mississippi State, you keep Vanderbilt, and then you have another opponent. And I would say, maybe Ole Miss's case, maybe that's LSU. And so that's where I think this thing is heading. I think that way you can preserve these rivalries, you know, for, for previous generations, but also to bring greater parity to the league and greater interest. You know, because let's be honest, you've got some declining interest in a lot of programs. But let's say for an example, you know, you had a, an opportunity to go to to Gainesville a little more often or an opportunity to go to Texas A&M a little more often if you're one of these Eastern teams. And so 
I think when you fall into the same rut of saying, okay, every other year we're going to go to Auburn, we're going to go to Arkansas, and then maybe once every five or six years we're going to get to go to, you know, to play Florida. I mean, the way the schedule is currently set up, it really isn't fair. And so this, I think, is a good compromise. The 3-5 model, I am sure that is going to be talked about. I don't know that it happens next year. I don't know that it happens in 2021. But I am intrigued by the discussion. And I think that, because look at Missouri. We went up there and played Missouri in 2015. They still haven't had the return trip yet. I mean, that to me, that makes no sense whatsoever. And so you put this thing in, and I think you preserve the rivalries, but you provide parity within the league, and you also give fans an opportunity to go see some their team play at venues that, that are, you know, listen, there are some trips that are kind of bucket list trips for a lot of people. You know, not everybody gets to go to every game. But, you know, there are a lot of people that say, you know what, we may get our, our tails whipped when we go to Tiger Stadium or when we go to Kyle Field or when we go to the Swamp. But I still want to go down there and watch my kids play. I still want to go down and watch, take that trip. And so the reality of that is, if you go to the 3-5 model, you're going to be able to do that with greater regularity. I mean, I, I have been covering Mississippi State now full-time in Starkville for five years, and I have not been able to go to the Swamp yet. Haven't been. And the last time we went down there was, what, 2010? And so that makes no sense that we would have – we have played Southern Miss more than we played Florida. It just makes no sense to me. And so that's – when I look at Missouri, I think they really benefit from that. They would benefit, you know, from a 3-5 and maybe you put them against Arkansas and A&M or whatever. And that kind of maintains some of those old, you know, Southwest Conference type things or whatever, you know, because of the fact that they're going to recruit a lot of the same kids. And uh, they're going to – it's good for recruiting, I think. You know, and I think, you know, Mizzou, I guess, was what, a Big 8 team. And so – the Big Eight and the Southwest Conference, there were a lot of, you know, intra-conference type clashes. And so, to me, that makes sense. And so, I think Mizzou would benefit from that. I think, you know, their fans would benefit from that because I don't think most people in the SEC even really consider Missouri an SEC team. But if you play them a little more often and you're able to make that trip, I think things change a little bit. Now, Missouri this weekend is going to smash Troy. I, I think Troy will score a little bit, but I think Kelly Bryant, another big day for him. And, again, Missouri's just kind of quietly waiting in the, the, the reeds for something. They're going to ruin somebody's season in the East. It might be Florida. It might be. Georgia is going to be at Tennessee. That is a primetime game on ESPN. Uh, Georgia at number three. You know, Georgia has, you know, Georgia's played well. But Georgia just hadn't just destroyed people. Maybe that's Kirby being a gentleman. I don't know. But, uh, you know, this is a huge game for Tennessee. And, and you, if you've kept up with anything, Phil Fulmer said earlier this week that he has no desire to coach again. And, and so uh, they're not going to run through this gauntlet of teams and then uh, him fire Jeremy Pruitt. I, I think it's interesting to me. I think every bit of this with, with Georgia and, and Tennessee – it, it, is, it is a microcosm of two programs going in two different directions. And, and those of you that remember, you know, when, when Fulmer and, and Spurrier win the league, you know, the winner of the Florida-Tennessee game won the East. That was, that was the game. It was usually a CBS game, and it was always – I remember Jabbar Gaffney and those guys and Danny Werfel and Peyton Manning, of course. There, there was always so many great heroes of our conference in those games – I don't think anybody looks at Tennessee now. I think I think the average SEC fan would struggle to name three players on the Tennessee roster. That's how far they've fallen. And you think about Georgia, even if you're not a fan of Georgia because they're on prime time, if you're a fan of college football, you're going to watch Georgia play. But Georgia this year has really not just destroyed a lot of people in conference. They have they have destroyed some of these non-conference teams pretty good. They beat Georgia thirty. They beat Vandy thirty to six. They beat Murray State 63-17 and 55-0 over Arkansas State, as they should. 23-17 winners over Notre Dame. And then Georgia had the bye last week. So they're going to come into Knoxville fresh off a bye. It's going to be interesting. I think Georgia is absolutely going to smash Tennessee. And I think that's good for Mississippi State. I think that team is going to be real, and I think they're going to really be worried about their season. They're going to be one and four after this week, and uh, you know, facing you know a long schedule ahead of them. And I think Mississippi State's got a chance to go in there and win that ball game. 
And I, I, I want them to be absolutely deflated when we show up. I mean, that's just my – I want to go win in Neyland Stadium. And the last time we've won up there was 1986 with Don Smith and Rocky Felker. You guys may remember that. Fred Hadley. Looking forward to making that trip next week. Hope you guys can make it with us. Vanderbilt is at Ole Miss. Vanderbilt is uh, it's intriguing because of the fact they can score a little bit, but they're not quite as good on defense as they have been. Uh, and, you know, they scored a bunch of points against LSU, and I don't know if that is more of a statement about LSU or a statement about Vanderbilt. So when you go back and look, Vandy loses that opening game of Georgia. They get smashed on the road at Purdue, 42-24. Then they put up 38 against LSU, but they give up 66, and then they barely hang on last week against Northern Illinois, 24-18. I think Ole Miss wins this football game. I, th- I think Ole Miss is beginning to kind of find a little identity on offense, and I think that Vandy defense is not what they have been. Now, that said, Vanderbilt has been really good against Ole Miss in recent years. Derek Mason has always kind of found a way – to make that game somewhat interesting. Uh, that That's one of the things I look at and I think, okay, is this the week that Vanderbilt's defense kind of figures it out? Because you know they've got to have a little confidence because how they've played in recent years. And, uh, you know, we joke many times and call Ole Miss the Vanderbilt uh, of the West. But Vanderbilt has won the Battle of the Vanderbilts uh, here the last couple of years. And let, let, let's look at this real quick here. And I think that it's a uh, – it's one of those things that I look at. You know, Ole Miss owns a 49-40 to 40 lead in the series, but Vanderbilt has won two of the last three uh, in the series. They win uh, in Nashville back in 16, 38-17. Then Ole Miss gets their revenge in 17 with a 57-35 win. And then last year in Nashville, uh, Vanderbilt wins. And that's the A.J. Brown, the catch is not a catch deal. Uh, and, you know, I – I could make the argument either way. I say, well, he's laying on his back, but he didn't complete the catch. But uh, the reality is, is this series over the course of the last decade has been pretty even. Uh, matter of fact, Vanderbilt has won five of the last nine in the series. Uh, the last time that Vanderbilt won in Oxford was back in 2012, or it's a 27-26 uh, victory, and they they should have been able to win in if 13. If you remember, if they just make a tackle, they've beaten Vanderbilt four years in a row. But uh, it has been an entertaining series. But I think Ole Miss finds a way. I just think that uh, Vanderbilt defensively is simply not where they need to be. And as a result, Ole Miss will find a way to put some points up. And if you're one of those folks that uh, likes to have a little skin in the game, if you if you are a guy that picks winners, and uh, maybe you're winning your office pool, maybe you're winning the water cooler talk, maybe it's time to put your money where your mouth is. Our friends at mybookie.ag, they are here to serve you. Longtime sponsors of the Boneyard. Been with me a long time, always here during football season to provide you with great odds, fast payouts, and an opportunity uh, to make games maybe a little more interesting. Because who you bet on is important, but where you bet is equally important, if not more important. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a promo code that'll help you save a little cash and maybe give you a chance to win big. Use promo code Boneyard. Go to mybookie.ag and use promo code Boneyard, B O N E Y A R D A R D. B-O-N-E-Y-A-R-D, Boneyard. You know how to spell it. And they will match your initial deposit. Use that promo code, get going, and you're already playing with some house money right out of the gate. Again, our friends at mybookie.ag, you you play, you win, you get paid. So let's look at a couple other things. You know, yesterday we had an opportunity to speak with Coach Ben Howen and Vic Schaefer and Jordan Danbury uh, we're already basketball practice already underway. A lot of discussion on the men's side of things about Reggie Perry. Is he an SEC Player of the Year candidate? A lot of people think so because of that great summary he had. You know, he was most outstanding player of the uh, Team USA gold medal team that won this summer, uh, and so he's come in and done a great job. And uh, Ben Howen shared with me he'd like to see him be a better rebounder. That so he's really challenged him to be a double double guy. That he needs to average a double double. And with him playing the four and competing with Abdul Adu for rebounds, sometimes that's going to be a real chore. But in order for State to take the next step, we've got to be a better rebounding team. And I I submit to you, I don't know that we have had a great post-offensive threat scoring-wise since Charles Rhodes. You know, when, when Charles was here, you could just kind of lob it down to Chuck and he would go get you a basket. 
and it just seemed like that's what he did. That's that was his identity on the team, and and Charles Rhodes is a beloved player in our history. But it's been a long time since we we, we you know Gavin I guess is a guy that at times was kind of streaky that you could you could run some offense through, but we haven't had a guy like Reggie Perry that you could kind of isolate for and just drop it down low, and he would have the strength and finesse to go make some plays. Now Ben Howen says that his shooting has really really improved. And that's an aspect of his game I think will allow him to be a much more uh, draftable player this year. And listen, this is his last year at Mississippi State. I don't think there's any question he's coming out this year. So go ahead and prepare for that. But I think he is the bell cow of the group. And uh, as it runs right now, and, and, and no surprise, Nick Weatherspoon is going to miss the first 10 games. It is interesting to me that Ben Howen will go out and say that. And I think it's, it's no mystery. We all know that uh, because of the fact that Nick had to sit out last year due to an unspecified violation of team rules, uh, that he's going to sit the first 10. But it's interesting, Ben Howland says that, but we don't really say much about football. And I understand that the FERP is involved in all that, but it's, it is an interesting dynamic, to say the least. Tyson Carter will run the point in the 10 games that Nick is out, and when Nick returns, Tyson will go to the two-guard and play off-ball. The, the guard that they are really excited about, and Ben Howen mentioned his name several times yesterday, is Iverson Molinar. He's a newcomer, and they think that he's a guy that's got some real juice. They think that he's a guy that's going to be able to make you know an impact this year and that he's going to be one of those guys when um, in the rotation at guard that can make some plays for us. And so that's exciting. As, as it's, if we started conference play today, let's say we're already through the, the 10 games for Nick, Based on what Ben Howen says, it appears that we're going to run Nick at the point, Tyson at the two, and then run Robert Woodard at the three, Reggie at the four, and then Abdul will do at the five. Uh, that's a bigger lineup, but it's also a, a lineup that can get to the rack. And uh, I think that's a good group. It's going to be about depth for Mississippi State. If we get into foul trouble, we're probably going to have some difficult ball games. Some of these younger guys are going to have to step up. Uh, Toto Smith is the guy that transferred in from Western Kentucky. Ben Howen said that uh, he has been phenomenal in practice. Uh, and so he'll sit this year. We'll look for him to play next year. But there's some excitement around men's basketball right now. And so I did not get to attend practice. I had some uh, parental duties I had to attend to. But you know, Paul Jones went posted some observations over on the uh, Jeans Page basketball forum. We encourage you to go by and check that out. But there is just a little buzz about this team. You know what? If they can identify some guys depth-wise, we think we've got a chance of making another run of the NCAA tournament. Now, we don't have number 11. We don't have Quindary Weatherspoon that at any time he can go get a basket for us. You know, he was just one of those guys he could pull up and make a shot or he could take you to the rack and get to the line. Somebody is going to have to become take on that role. Nick Weatherspoon is in the best shape of his life. We will get through this non-conference schedule and we'll put some of these things behind us and we'll be at full strength by the time we get into uh, to January. I'm excited about that. Women's basketball side of things, Vic Schaefer shared again that, you know, what a big deal it is to get Jordan Danbury back. And I think that goes without saying. I think that was an unexpected surprise. Uh, Vic said, you know, on paper that uh, it, it made sense to them and that our compliance department uh, led by Bracky Brett and Steve Smith, they you know they made a great case and were able to get her an additional year. We are so caught up sometimes in the things that don't go our way, and maybe that's just human nature. But there was a lot of discussion about you know the Alan Love thing didn't work out, and, it, and it, there's all, it always seems that we, if we were a blue blood, this would work out. You know, we are a blue blood, I guess, in women's basketball. We're kind of new money, but but uh, that being said. The Jordan Danbury case was very, very, very straightforward. And she was granted the waiver, and uh, she's going to have an opportunity to play this year. That is huge for Mississippi State. We will miss Jazz, for sure. Uh, not just as a point guard, but as a defensive specialist. I mean, she was one of those players, when you put her on somebody, they were going to have a tough time handling the basketball. They were going to have a tough time starting the offense because she was so tremendously talented. Uh, Dan Barry is somebody that gets in the passing lanes and, uh, you know, is instant offense. When she gets the ball in her hand, she's, she's going to go lay it up. And so getting her back, especially with a young team that's in transition, is huge. A lot of discussion yesterday about Rakia Jackson, the McDonald's All-American five-star player that uh, elected to leave her home state of Michigan to join the Mississippi State program. 
was the Bulldogs' leading scorer during the uh, the Italy trip. Excited about what she brings to the table. It's as simple as that. She has drawn a lot of comparisons to Victoria Vivians from an offensive standpoint, but observations are she's a better defensive player at this point in her career. Victoria became a pretty good defender uh, later in her career, but she was always really kind of an offensive-minded player. Rakia Jackson is one that is already kind of coming in and, and kind of drawing some praise for her ability to get into passing lanes. And so we're excited about that. Also, to promise Taylor's news, uh, still a little bit of a mixed bag there. She is recovering from what Vic Schaefer has kind of deemed a reconstructive procedure on her ankle and that she is participating in about one-fifth of practice. Now, the hope is is he's going to give them time off for fall break. He said he's done it the last few years, and it's been very successful for them. Give them a chance to go home, put their feet on their mama's table, and just kind of relax a little bit. Uh, but once she comes back from fall break, they're hopeful that she's going to be able to be more of a full participant in practice. There's still some, some time to go to kind of get her, her healthy, but in a non-conference schedule, I think we'll run a little more Jessica Carter there and really give Promise a chance to be right for conference play. He did praise her for her ability uh, to play with a little bit of finesse. You know, for a bigger player, you know, she's going to play a post for us. And she kind of joked that, you know, sometimes that Big T would get get a little bit out of control, you know, and she, she'd knock you into the band. You know, that uh, the promise has a little more body control, I guess you could say. And, uh, man, I tell you, how much are we going to miss Tierra McCowan? And I don't just mean what she brought on the defensive side of the floor, but, you know, what she meant as an ambassador for Mississippi State. You know, she, she, in many respects, was our identity last year, and really for the last couple of years. I think people looked at her and said, you know what, when you thought about Mississippi State women's basketball, you, you, you thought about 15 down there in the paint, that if you went down there and you got a little loose and fast with the basketball, that she would put you on Sports Center. You know what I'm saying? That, that is something that I think that we will miss this year. Uh, I think Jessica Carter and Promise Tudor both will be very good players. But, you know, Tierra is one of those generational-type talents. I just – I don't know that we have anybody with her ferocity at this point. So that'll be interesting. I want to thank our good friends at Campus Bookmart. Love Campus Bookmart. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the whole crew there. I'm going to be doing some book signings with them throughout the holiday season. They're going to be doing some traveling, and I'm going with them. We're going to have a great time together. Uh, and so if you're looking for copies of Flim Flam, you can get that at campusbookmart.net. And while you're there perusing their, their fine online selections, you can find the latest in maroon and white fashions. You can outfit your home, your car, your RV, your pet, your office, whatever you have. You can look through all that stuff. Anything that you anything you need Bulldog-related, you can find right there at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Bulldog listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR. That stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll save you sh- shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit of recruiting. You know, some of you guys are, are probably aware of this, but uh, Olive Branch offensive lineman Xavier Hill has now officially decommitted from Alabama. Now, I'll share with you some insight here. I was told the day that he was on campus for the Mississippi State-Kentucky game that he had already backed off his commitment, but he had not made it public. He had not put it on social media. He had not granted any interviews to talk about it, but that he had already decided to kind of back off that earlier pledge. He has already taken four official visits. He's been to Alabama, been to LSU, been to Tennessee, been to Texas A&M. He's got one official visit left to take. Now, we expect that to be Mississippi State. He's got some good friends already committed to Mississippi State, including uh, teammate Jevin Banks, good friend Cameron Threet, you know, there's, there, are, there are some players around him that are encouraging him to join the parade at Mississippi State. Mississippi State's Marcus Johnson and Joe Moorhead have stayed on him throughout the process. This is very, very reminiscent of the Charles Cross recruitment last year. We were very much involved with Xavier Hill, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the water got a little deep. We got some new offers in. Next thing you know, Cross commits to Florida State. Rather than pout about it and say, you know what, let's go find somebody else, Marcus Johnson doubles down, Joe Moorhead doubles down. Next thing you know, Cross decommits from Florida State, takes an official visit to Mississippi State, now he's a Bulldog. This is a similar situation. And I think it says a lot about Marcus Johnson. I think it says a lot about Joe Moorhead that just because a guy commits doesn't mean that we're going to stop recruiting him. And I don't know that's always been the case here at Mississippi State. There have been sometimes – but you know what? A kid picks somebody else, and we say, hey, we did our best. But when it comes to these in-state talents, 
And, you know, we, we had some guys last year that went out of state that we were hope, hopeful to sign. But if they're going to leave the state, let's make it difficult on them. You know, l- let's give them every opportunity to stay home. And that's what we did. And I think Marcus Johnson did a great job. And Charles Cross told me as much that, you know, that the best relationship he had throughout the recruiting process was Marcus Johnson. Marcus Johnson will tell you now that Charles Cross is one of the most talented players that he has ever coached, and he is just a true freshman. I like what we're doing rather than throwing him to the wolves. We're allowing him to play a little bit. He needs to bulk up and get a little stronger, not to mention you've got some veteran guys out there that are playing at tackle. And so you get his feet wet this year, let Tyree Phillips graduate, and then you've got three to four years of Charles Cross as your left tackle. That's big for Mississippi State. That's big for Garrett Schrader. Those guys can grow up together and likely graduate together. It's huge. I still think Charles Cross is probably a guy that will declare after his junior season. But all that being said, I think I see Xavier Hill in much the same light. I'm going to go see Xavier Hill and Jevin play tonight. Uh, Olive Branch plays at Tupelo. Mississippi State's got commitments on both sides of, of, of the line of scrimmage. So we'll go check that out. I expect Xavier Hill to be back when Mississippi State plays LSU in a couple weeks. I've been told that he's going to take uh, some other game day visits and get out and go see some other schools and kind of enjoy himself a little bit. But this is likely a December signing. And so with essentially just over two months to go in in his decision-making process, he's already taken four of his five allotted official visits. Now Mississippi State needs to close the deal. You need to find a way to get him back on campus with his family for an official visit. People forget Mississippi State was among his first offers. He came to top dog camp two summers ago, and he worked under the direction of Coach Marcus Johnson. And I remember watching him then. You think, you know, this kid's a junior? Okay, word? Really? All right, good. And now here we are again. Offensive line recruiting at the forefront, but for the right reasons. That's one of the things, you know, when we would get later in the process with John Havasey, and again, I'm not being negative about John Havasey. I'm just trying to make a comparison here. You know, if we did not get a lot of return interest from the blue chip offensive lineman early on, we would simply move on. And so later in the process, we're kind of looking at plan B guys, to be quite honest with you. We're saying, okay, well, listen, we couldn't get this kid, but who can we get? And then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're evaluating senior film and we're trying to find new players. And in this situation, it's much differently. And I believe this is a very progressive for Mississippi State. As the process has gone on, we have kind of convinced some guys, some well-recruited and highly sought-after guys, to give Mississippi State another look. So rather than give up on the process and give up on selling Mississippi State and give up on possibly getting these guys to take a visit, we have stayed after it. And so Marcus Johnson deserves a lot of credit for that. Joe Moorhead deserves a lot of credit for that. Because here's the thing with Joe. Joe loves recruiting. He said as much on Tuesday evening. But I don't know that there's another Southeastern Conference coach that is involved with recruits the way that Joe is. When I talk to recruits, we interview them, Paul Jones and I both, we, we have remarked among ourselves. I don't ever remember a recruit under Jim Moorhead's recruiting process that hasn't mentioned Joe. Like when I say, okay, well, who is your guy up there? Who do you talk to at Mississippi State? Who's the guy that maintains a relationship with you? Oh, it's Coach Moorhead and Marcus Johnson, or it's Coach Moorhead and Terrell Buckley. Joe has a spoon in every pot. And that's one of the things that I think will differentiate Mississippi State from some of our peers within the Southeastern Conference. Listen, we're not going to win an arms race against Florida or a facilities race against Alabama. What we have to do at Mississippi State is we have to sell the Mississippi State experience. We have to sell Mississippi State as people. And so you know what? Those folks up the road, they, they might have a bigger IPF than us. They might have a bigger stadium than us. But nobody has recruited you the way we have because you are important to us. How many head coaches do you have a daily relationship with? How many coaches do you have that are messaging you, wishing you good luck before your ball game? It's one thing for the student assistants to stuff a mailer in an envelope or to share a DM of a graphic. Everybody does that. It was ingenious five years ago. Now it's commonplace. But when you think about the fact that you've got recruits that can direct message Joe Moorhead whenever they want, 
And it is an ongoing dialogue. It is not a treat. It is not a rare occurrence. It is part of the Mississippi State recruiting pitch. I think that says a lot about the direction of this program. Now, the bottom line is Joe's got to go win games. But as people say, you know, it's not just about X's and O's. It's about Jimmy's and Joe's. And I think people will all agree, since Joe has been here, we have recruited at a much higher level. I don't know that the rankings truly bear that out just yet. But I think Joe is learning the Mississippi State story and learning what you have to do to recruit at a high level at Mississippi State. And that we're going to see the dividends of that paying off. And I think when you see guys like Charles Cross reopen the process and say, you know what, I think Mississippi State might be it. Because here's what's going to happen. When some of these guys commit to the Alabamas and Florida States and LSUs of the world, most of the other schools are going to just go fish. I like the fact that we've got some leadership in the Mississippi State football program that says, you know what, we're not going to let them get away that easy. We're not going to give up in March. We're not going to give up in June because you never know what we're going to do this season. We're not going to give up. And I think there have been many times in the past 20, 25 years when, it, when a kid commits to a blue-chip type program or a you know, blue-blood type powerhouse type program that we have just, you know, just said, you know what, we're done. That water's too deep for us. I respect the fact that we have a head coach that doesn't buy into that ideology. I think that'll be the difference between 75, 8, and 4, and 9, and 3, and 10, and 2. I think that will be the difference because I think that we're going to begin to see better recruiting classes at Mississippi State. It's going to take some time. We're going to have to put a good product on the field. This is a transition year for Mississippi State. It's also a year that we expect to make a ball game and have a solid bowl trip somewhere. I think most of us expected eight and four could be seven and five type year, but I'm not going to write off eight and four just yet. We probably got to upset A&M on the road. But the reality of that is, is that Tommy Stevens was brought in to be a stopgap guy, to implement this offense and also provide a little bit of a buffer while Garrett Schrader had the opportunity to develop. Garrett Schrader is the future of our program. Now we're finding the pieces to go around him. Now we're finding the pieces that'll be the centerpiece and the cornerstones of the offense and defense around him. I'm excited. I'm excited to get to Tennessee. I'm excited to watch some college football this weekend and be able to kind of vegetate a little bit, but I'm also going to go out to Duty Noble Field and enjoy some Diamond Dog baseball. I hope you can come out there and join us. Well, folks, it's going to do it for today. Hope that, uh, again, you guys are well. If you hadn't done so, please go to StarkVillainsTheBook.com. Pre-order your copies of Stark Villains and get your T-shirts and hoodies. We've got cold weather on the way, I promise. You can find those at StarkVillains.com. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.